Ciao, Bella. I am Oceana Fortuna, and this is the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. We'll talk about a magical mix of mystical methods, including everything that works to live your best life, grow spiritually, and maybe find love. Open your heart, expand your mind, and connect with spirit to embrace the magic that is all around you. If you enjoy the show, please give it a thumbs up or write a glowing review and subscribe so you'll know when the next episode is available. And may good fortune come to all those who listen to the Breathe Love and Magic podcast. And now, on with the show. Corby Mitlide has been on the mystic's path for almost 50 years, meeting challenges, always questioning, leading the examined life. This road has illuminated an essential cosmic truth. God gives all of us what we need for a life filled with miracles and joy. As long as our hearts are open, whole, and aligned with our source energy, anything is possible. And it never hurts to bring laughter on the path with you. If she can share that blessing with you, she feels she's doing the right thing. Corby is a psychic, channel, and medium, reading since 1973. She travels coast to coast and into Canada as a full-time intuitive counselor, appeared frequently on radio and television, and as an inspirational teacher and facilitator. She is a featured channel in Robert Schwartz's breakthrough series, Your Soul's Plan your soul's gift, and your soul's love, and is herself the author of Clean Out Your Life Closet, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, and You've Got the Magic, Who Needs a Genie? Corby's certifications and affiliations include being a certified tarot master, a member of the American Tarot Association and the Tarot Guild, an ordained minister of the Sanctuary of the Beloved Order of Melchizedek. Her specific skills include tarot and oracle divination deck readings, spiritual and intuitive counseling, past life retrieval and analysis, mediumship, and spirit guide conferences, including speaking with one's soul or higher self. Corby, welcome. I'm so excited that you're here today. We're going to be talking about all kinds of things. And I'm thrilled that you've agreed to be on my show and be a guest. So welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here. Excellent. So I got to tell you, the first thing I really want to know about is the tarot. Now, I know a little about the tarot. I'm, I'm not very up on it, but you're a certified master. And I'm like, wow, that sounds impressive. So I just want to know a little bit about what that means. I actually have two different certifications from two different groups. Through the Tarot Certification Board of America, I became a certified professional tarot reader. That doesn't just mean I can read all 78 cards right set up and backwards. It required me to draft my own code of ethics for tarot practice, provide a statement on how I would apply that code of ethics to my clients, and explain how I'd handle troublesome or impossible questions and situations. I had to show how I could develop spreads for specific questions and help a client change their question from a disempowering one, will I get better from the illness, to an empowering one, what can I do to aid my body and physician in bringing my body back to health? See that difference? Certified Tarot Master is through the Tarot Guild. That signifies people who have been a professional in their field for a minimum of 10 years with a demonstrable body of work and show professional development. Oh. I've been 
I've been reading since I was 18. I'm 66 professionally since 1994. So that's almost 30 years. Amazing. That is amazing. Now, I never heard of those organizations. I'm not up on the chair, as I said, but that sounds pretty amazing. So it really is, you know, right now there's a lot of training programs and people are being certified and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's great to hear that that certification isn't just some class you took for $1,500. And no, not at all. Weeks or whatever. No, like it takes hours that you had to put in, years of time, um, lots of experience and great foundation. And the other thing, the first one that you talked about, I think, you know, one of the things you touched on is so vital, which is it's really hard to get good intuitive information and guidance if you don't know how to ask a question. Exactly right. Um, As a matter of fact, one of the things in my second book, which is The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, the second chapter is Psychics 102, which talks about how to prep for a great psychic session. And I use a mnemonic. The idea is with the word answer, you have six things. Accept responsibility for your part in the session. Yeah. No pop quizzes, no comparisons. <laughs> State your intentions clearly. Widen your horizons. Evaluate the information and respond to the universe. Very nice. Um, Very nice. Now, when people do that, the sessions are so much more useful and they leave oh, yeah. with a rocket pack on their back. That is fantastic. You know, I will admit that I worked at Psychic Fairs for a little while in the early 90s. What used to really kind of get to me were the people who wanted to test me. <laughs> Please, when someone comes up to me at a psychic fair and says, tell me something you couldn't know about me. And uh, if you're right, I'll have a reading. I smile at them and say, I'm sorry, I don't roll over and fetch either. And I turn my back and they do not get a reading. <laughs> no rolling over and fetching. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Well, good for you. I know one time somebody showed me a picture of a friend of theirs. And she goes, I, I want to know what he's doing and where he is. And I'm like, hmm. And he was wearing a, like a judo outfit, a karate or something. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't think he's doing that karate anymore. And I said, I'm having a hard time picking up where he is. He and was he dead, had, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. He, yes, he had passed away. And, and I just looked at her. I'm like, he just wasted this time testing me. But people need, you know, have their own needs and their own process or whatever. But I've had so many incredible, fabulous readings where you really connect with people and something incredibly magical happens. And you mm-hmm. think about those experiences and then you come down to the people who want to test the psychic or whatever. But I guess everybody's in their own place. We just prefer to work with those people who are open to the learning and the guidance that is available. Yeah, yeah, me too. All right, well, that is cool. And all about the tarot, obviously you've been working with the tarot for a long time. What do you love about the tarot? It tells stories. I mean, when I started reading in 1973, we were all hippies. You had your elephant bell bottoms and your fringe jacket and your deck. Five years later, everyone else had moved on to roller skates and disco balls. I still loved the stories that you could tell and Uh, people respond to pictures. Yes. Better than just blathering at them so that they could understand what I was saying and take the ideas home. Oh, so in a way, the tarot card gives the person getting the reading something to hold on to and focus on and gain, give them a better understanding. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes. 
let's take a simple card. There's a card number 14, it's temperance. And it shows an angel and the angel is pouring water from cup to cup, but not spilling any. The angel has one foot on land and one foot in the water. The allegory for that is in order to maintain emotional mastery over a situation, because water always means emotion in tarot, you need to keep one foot in reality and one foot in where you want to go. Now, when they hear that and they remember this card, the message goes in more deeply. That makes so much sense. And we really respond to symbols. And mm -hmm. symbols have been around for as long as man has been around or a woman. Yes. And so we do respond to those symbols and they're easy to retain. They stick with you. And that's great because then you're just interpreting the symbols and it gives them something to hold on to. I, I never thought about it like that, but that makes a lot of sense. And sometimes the cards will tell you to tell them something that is absolutely not the usual card meaning, but the cards are saying this is important. For instance, there's a card that is the three of pentacles and the three of pentacles is usually in a church building. Uh, this has an Asian feel to it. And the man is working on the building and it means mastery or a long-term project. But when I was reading in Kitchener, Ontario for a couple, I looked at the card and what came out of my mouth was there is a deconsecrated or abandoned church and that's where you need to open up your cafe bakery. I have no idea what, who told me to say that. Right. But the couple looks at me and nods and says, oh yeah, we know which one we've been arguing for two years. Oh my God. That's why if anyone says, oh, all you have to do is memorize what the cards mean and you can be a famous reader. No, the cards are doorways for the yeah. information to come through. Yeah. And the longer you work with them, the better you are at opening the door. That I love that. I love that. And it makes a lot of sense because I was thinking, well, maybe I want to learn the tarot. And I was like looking at that pile of 78 cards and I thought, mm, I'm not sure, you know, leave that to other people who are already really good at it. But that makes so much sense because it's really tapping into your own intuition. So the messages come to you with the symbols that are in there, but it might not be this, the straight or direct or typical reading that you would get. So that, that makes sense. And you know, that touches on another thing, which is when you're learning to do this work, you, you have to learn to be willing to say it. Mm -hmm. Say what you get, unless you get something like, you know, you think they're gonna die soon or something. That's not a message. It, no professional intuitive ever predicts death. Yeah. For terrible. one thing, it's illegal in many, many states. Number two, we have four or five different places we could leave in our given lifespan. If you tell someone, I see you dying at 32 of a heart attack, well, you've just set it up. Yeah, it's terrible. You could create that to happen. But what I'm talking about is a lot of times, like you just said in that example, that's not your typical response with that card, but you just have to say what you get. With, you know, the only editing is you never say anything hurtful or destructive. So exactly. And the easiest way to do that is to leave your ego at the door. When I read, as John Holland, the very famous medium says, I'm just the tube it comes through. If spirit wants me to tell you to watch your plaid rutabaga for Corby, that's what are you saying? But it comes out of the mouth and it makes sense. <laughs> so plaid rutabaga, that's a good one. 
Well, you know, and what if all of a sudden she's digging through her mother's attic and she finds this little stuffed vegetables that she had as a kid that's a plaid rutabaga that her mother made her. When you stop to wonder if what you're going to say is right, that's your ego getting in the way of the reading. And I always remind my clients, even the best of us are only 85% accurate. The only one 100% accurate is God and he doesn't have a booth at the psychic here this weekend. Does not have a booth. (laughs) You're absolutely right. I love that. You're getting a snippet, a glimpse of something in time and with free will or whatever things can change too. So we're just pulling up information the best we can based on whatever information comes into us or guidance or clues or symbols or whatever that is. So we have to be okay if the client says that's wrong. Yes. Cannot go back and correct. There was a woman that I read again up in Canada. I told her two possible challenging things that I saw. She looks at me, she says, you suck. And she gets up and walks away. But she's the first person back in my chair the next time I come in saying, last time you told me that I was going to take in a border and then I was probably going to want to sell my house. And I thought that was bull. But then my daughter got pregnant and moved home. And now I want to sell my house to raise my grandson. And I still don't like you, but I want to know what else you see. Don't shoot the messenger. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. <laughs> I, I have had instances where, you know, and I don't work at psychic fairs anymore. And I don't, I, I don't do readings like all day and all night. I do some, but I did have some experiences early on where there were people I could not connect to. When we were at the psychic fair, I said to them, you know what? I don't want to waste your money. Go back. They'll give you somebody else, pick somebody else and let them connect because sometimes you just can't connect. That is the mark of a professional reader. If someone comes to me for past lives and I just see the Akashic record book blank, or I look at the cards and they make no sense, I just say, I'm really sorry, Mrs. Harrison, but we're not connecting. Make sure they have their money back. And if they've been courteous and polite, I may say, well, that person and that person and that person all have the same skill set that I do. Perhaps they'll be able to read you better. I think it's one of those vibrational things where you're just not a match with everybody. So it happens like really? that. And absolutely. You are okay. absolutely right. Very good. Let's talk about Melchizedek for a minute. Do you mind? Sure. I'm so curious about that. I heard about that probably in the 90s. Yep. And I really don't know much about it. So I'd love to hear a little bit. Okay. I am ordained through the sanctuary of the beloved, which is Daniel Chesbro. And it is the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a major influence in both the New and the Old Testaments, but it's really understudied. It's a priesthood of individuals committed to teach and or heal the human condition. Priests are self-selected. You know, we feel the tap on our shoulder and we get handed our draft notice. And our ultimate commitment is between God and us. There's no dogma. There's no hierarchy. There is one God understood and worshiped in a variety of different ways, each serving a purpose to those worshiping and to the overall understanding of spirituality. There are a lot of paths to God, but the basis of all true spiritual work is love, unconditional love, and we all come from that source. That's why the order of Melchizedek does not discriminate by race, age, gender, religion, lifestyle, or anything. It is an unconditional love response to world service. That is, means I'm a non-denominational priest. I'm what I call a hedge priest. I go where I'm called. I don't have a church per se. But the reason I became a member, one, 
practical reason and one heart reason. The practical reason was when I became a priest through the order of Melchizedek, if I was south of the Mason-Dixon line and people walked up and said, you're doing the devil's work, you're evil, that's Satan. I could say, no, I'm a priest and it's pastoral counseling. Oh, we're really sorry. Uh, you go right ahead. Priest is a magic word down south. Oh, um, wow. The other reason I did it is before it became the law of the land, I had a lot of friends who, if you will, bat for the same team. And if they wanted sacred ceremony and to get married, I was going to do it. I'm glad that, you know, same-sex marriage is now the law of the land, but for a long time it wasn't but people still wanted a sacrament and I did it for them. Oh, that's lovely. All right, well, good to know because I've been curious for so long, I've heard about it. So um, that's very expansive the way you talk about it. Thank you. I'm also curious about Robert Schwartz's series and your part mm -hmm. in them. I know that's in your biography and yes. I'm not familiar with that. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that. All right, Robert Schwartz, has written very, very important books on life between lives, free birth planning, and karma. There are only two of us that have appeared in all three of his books, myself and my good friend and colleague, Stacy Wells. The reason why Rob worked with me is I have a couple of specific skills he needed. One of them is I'm a past life specialist. God uses what we've got in the toolbox and says, this is what you're going to be good at. For me, I was an actress trained at Brown University, so I know how to get into a character's head. I am a writer, so I love words and descriptions, and I am uh, an amateur historian. My husband is a museum director, so I know a lot about certain periods of history. So for instance, someone might see a past life view and say, well, I know it's female, and you're in a long skirt and a big hat, so I know it's old fashioned. I would be able to look at that same vision and say, hobble skirt, picture hat, that kind of ostrich feather, and you're standing in front of the Brandenburg Gate. We're talking about Berlin in 1911 or 12, wow, which is useful. I can channel people's higher selves, their souls for them to talk to. Those were what I did for Rob. He explains that karma is not carrot and stick, but karma is five things. Unbalanced energy, which is a neutral, healing, service, contrast, you want to learn about abundance, you have to have one rich life, one poor life at least, and healing of beliefs. When you understand that what may look to you like a very bad situation is actually just a courageous soul, it tips everything you know about carrot and stick bad and good on your head. I love to use the example of Ryan White. Ryan White died of AIDS at age 18, right in the beginning of the epidemic. He was shunned by friends. Uh, his, he and his mother were made pariahs. It was horrible. But... One person befriended Ryan, and that was Elton John. Oh. Elton at that point was heavily into drinking and drugs and a very um, suicidal lifestyle. He was so moved by how brave Ryan was with this. When Ryan died, he played at Ryan's funeral, himself got clean and sober and has been for 30 years, and created the Elton John AIDS Foundation, which has raised over half a billion dollars Wow. to help people with HIV and AIDS worldwide. So to me, Ryan White chose that short, difficult life in service, yeah. knowing how much he could change the world. That makes total sense. I, I totally see what you're saying. I did a reading once for a young woman. I could tell from the slip of paper in front of me that her name was Japanese. And she wanted to know about her most previous past life. And I saw her as a Navy guy who died in the bombing at Pearl Harbor. And I thought, 
wow, that's a courageous soul to come back as a Japanese woman as your next life. I, I, I was so blown away by that. And uh, so we had a long conversation about why she was afraid of water and why she didn't like fireworks and loud noises. <laughs> okay. All makes sense when you know. Yeah, so I really get what you're saying. And that's really fascinating that you can identify, you know, I have such a love for the whole past life thing. I took a class in 1990 that lasted for a year where we worked on all our past lives and we worked on each other's in a consistent group that stayed together for the whole year. I just love, love, love it. But I love that aspect of it, like you said, that you can identify the history. What a huge help that is. I can sometimes identify it, but not that specific, 1911 in Berlin. And I'm sure it's probably not always that specific, but yeah, that makes sense because, you know, if you know the style of dress and whatever, then you can identify where they were and when, what kind of timing it was. You know, like for me, if I see somebody in the Renaissance, it's kind of a big lump of a couple hundred years. Yeah. And sometimes all you need is a snippet. A woman came to me and said, you know, my son's in his late 20s, but he won't do anything without me. And I don't know what I can do about that. And I said, well, okay, I'm seeing you on Utah Beach. You're his commanding officer. He's got his leg badly damaged, but you drag him off the beach. Both of you took some shrapnel, but you lived. And she looked at me very pale and she said, do you know what my rank was? I said, yes, yeah, Sergeant. She takes a breath and she says, my kid has called me Sarge since I was three and we've never understood where that came from. Oh, that's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> that, you take my breath away. That is- outrageous. I'm just the tube, honey. This is just what her guides were giving me. That's all. Uh, it's, it's just amazing though. What an incredible story. It's kind of like a heart stopping thing where you just go, oh, wow. You know, that's a lot of bleed through, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Let's talk about spirit guide conferences. What is that about? That sounds so fascinating. That's very simple. It's I get your spirit guides. And instead of just telling you, yes, you have an Indian broken feather who says he loves you and he's always going to be with you. I'll open up and you can talk to them directly. Same thing with mediumship. I do not just fish. I mean, the best medium I ever knew who could just go up there and pull a string was my dear friend, the late Allie Cheslick. We called her Chatty Kathy of the Dead, and she probably still is. What I do is I ask for the dog tags, the name, who they were to you, the year they died and how old they were, which just gets me into the energy. Then it's almost like my guides will play charades with it. There are certain gestures. They smoked, they had surgery. It was a sudden death. And as soon as we get things that you are absolutely sure of, then I open it up and you can talk to them directly. A couple of really great examples. A woman wanted to speak to her father-in-law. All of a sudden, I find myself miming a pool cue. He taught her how to play pool. A girl up in Hamilton, Ontario, wanted to speak to her grandfather. All of a sudden, I find myself saluting. Now, Americans salute with their palms down. British Canadians salute with their palm out. And I was saluting with my palm out. She had just graduated from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Academy and her grandfather was acknowledging it. That's uh -huh. not, it's a rose, they love you. When you get things that specific, I know we've got them and I open the door and they can have those wonderful closure conversations. I like your process. You start with some of the evidence and then you move on to the messages. Uh, that, that makes sense. Because a lot of people just get stuck in evidence. They come in groups ever? Uh, when you say, do they come in groups, meaning what, spirit okay. guides? 
spirit guides or whoever, like it said conferences. So I was wondering if there was any. The like, conferences between my client and their guide or guides. Uh, yes. I remember there was one where I, we were literally getting angels in one of the Greek amphitheaters. She was so protected and so loved, but normally it's one at a time. You know, so you can talk to them and listen to them and ask them questions specifically. Excellent. So now I want to talk just a little bit about your book. Yes, it is The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, okay. How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys. I totally love that title. Did you come up with that real wizard flying monkey thing? I came up with it with my fabulous editor, Bernie Zhang. She's worked on all of my books with me. And she and I always know we have to have one of those ridiculously cool titles. Yes, you do. You absolutely do. You want it to be a grabber and you got it, girl. That mm -hmm. is a grabber title for sure. It's like no flying monkeys. Who doesn't remember watching that show and being afraid of the flying monkeys? You know? Yes. <laughs> a couple of things stood out when I was reading some of the details. And one is, first of all, tell me why you wrote the book. And then I'll ask you my other two questions. Okay. I wrote the book because of an incident that happened. Again, all my good stories are Canada in Toronto about 15, 16 years ago. This is a huge show, 250 booths. We were across from someone that I call a fake gypsy. You know, there are real gypsies in Roma, but the fake gypsies put on the long skirts and the jingling jewelry and the bad accents and they say they're gypsies. So we saw a woman walking down the aisle and the woman comes out of her booth and grabs the possible client. Now this is hooking in, in the jargon and it's as bad as the other kind of hooking. What? But the fake gypsy says, Oh, you no need to pay 30, 40, 50 dollars. I would need your call for 10. Come. She drags the woman into the booth. 20 minutes later, we see the client leaving, crying hysterically. And a bunch of us rush over. Are you all right? Well, apparently the fake gypsy had said, Oh, you have a family curse. Oh, How many oh, in your family? Four. You have dog. $50 every family member, 25 for a dog. He's small. We fixed. And told the woman if she didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church. I bless real good, only $1 candle. Her entire family was going to die in a car accident in two weeks and the woman bought it. Ah, that's horrifying. It is. And I just said, you know, I mean, the, the back of the book says good psychic guidance is art, don't settle for a forgery. So this is a book to protect those who don't necessarily want to learn how to do it themselves, but want right. to be able to go to us for useful guidance. Yeah. And I don't care if you read that book and you never come to me. That's not its purpose. Right. Its purpose is to keep you safe wherever you go. Yeah, very educational. Tell me about these two things really stood out. The difference between spirit guides and angels. Remember um, in math class, geometry, we'd have a Venn diagram. That's yeah. where the two circles had a thing that met in the middle. Well, the Venn diagram for spirit guides and angels is a donut. And the, the angels live in the donut hole. And the ah. spirit guides are the donut. All angels are spirit guides, but not all spirit guides are angels. Spirit oh. guides can be people that you've known in this life or another life. They can be animal guides. They can be avatars. They can be ETs, energy signatures. All of us have at least one angel that is with us from birth to death. You know, they have their name, our names in the back of their tunings like can tags. I belong to Ronnie. But spirit guides grow and change as we do. You don't have the same teacher from kindergarten to PhD, why would you have the same spirit guide as you grew and changed your focus throughout your life? That is the, one of the best descriptions and explanations I have ever heard. And I love the donut analogy. The other one mm -hmm. is the different, and this one, I really want to hear this for me too, the difference mm -hmm. between channeling and mediumship. And the reason I ask in this way is because 
I took a mediumship class and I wasn't as great at the evidence part as I was about, I could get messages for people. And this woman said, you're, you're cheating. And I'm like, what? I'm cheating. Now, mediumship is dead people. Boom. Channeling is Jane Roberts got Seth, Pat Rhoda got, got, uh, got Emmanuel, Esther Hick got Abraham. Channeling is when we get information from non-human beings that have messages for us. Well, that's a good distinction. So let's say you were doing a reading for somebody and you had a message and you just spoke the message as you heard it. Is that mm -hmm. channeling mediumship or that's still strictly mediumship? So let's say I was talking to your grandfather and, mm -hmm. he, and I decided instead of trying to repeat it as I heard it, to just say it as I heard it, you know, like mm -hmm. in channeling mode, you just let the words come through you. So if you talk to uh, someone who was human, it's still mediumship. Okay. Well, great. I love clarity. <laughs> so just sums it up. So you have how many books? Three? Yes. All right. And they're available on Amazon. Do you have an author page or? Yes, I do. Okay, great. So if they type in Corby Mitlide author right. page or something, all of your books will come up. Yes, they will. Excellent. That's excellent. And if people did want to get in touch with you, they could for they could find you, and I'm going to put it all in the show notes. But they could find you at corbymitlide.com. So that's I'll right. Say, I'll just say it for now: C O R B I E M I T L E I D dot com. Yes. What's the most fun place you've been? In terms of teaching? Yes. Uh, oh, it had to be Lilydale when I did the way some people do mediumship galleries. I do past life galleries. Boom! 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 And oh. it was, like it was wonderful stump. to be able to do that. Cause that's not something everybody does. Like at the stump or in the little. No, uh, Rob, Robert Schwartz and I were in there teaching classes and he was talking about his books, things like a woman raised her hand. She said, I've always been terrified with wet hair in my face. Even one strand, she had butch short hair. And I said, wait a minute. Okay. The answer is Lusitania in 1915, you were on. The ship is a passenger. It was torpedoed by the Germans. You went over the side, but you hadn't bobbed your hair. It was still that big Edwardian mass, which took on a lot more water and debris kept getting caught in it and you drowned. And she looked at me and she said, is that why I'm afraid of cruise ships? I said, probably. That would explain it. Uh-huh. Yes. So that's so cool. So there were just like a bunch of people in front of you and you just gave them kind of instantaneous past life readings? Yes. Oh, that is awesome. I remember I went to Lily Jail. The friend who brought me there, she said, all right, here's my tip. Wear something really bright that stands out. And then chances are they're going to pick you when they did message service. Mm -hmm. and so I was sitting in the audience at the stump. And so for people who don't know, I haven't been to Lily Dale. It's a spiritual community that's actually gated. Is it still gated? They have all those adorable little gingerbread houses. And it's up in the Buffalo area. So they have different areas where they have gatherings or whatever. And one is, I don't know, there's a tree stump. There's a lot of trees around and whatever. And then they have just plain benches. And so they call it the stump. They had to eventually put cement over the top of the stump because people kept chipping pieces away mm -hmm. of the tree. But anyway, so you sit in all these like rows of benches and you want to get a message so she said, wear something that stands out. And she was so right. I thought that was the coolest thing I had ever seen because it was in the late 80s where mm -hmm. they would just give out, hand out messages to the audience. It was amazing. 
Good, good. I am glad to hear those kinds of things because all of us have to do well in order, you know, the old saying, all boats rise. Yeah. The more all of us can do good work and show people that spirituality, metaphysics is real, we're all going to have an easier time of it. Yeah. So why was the Lily Dale thing fun for you? Doing that kind of thing was unusual? At that point, I hadn't done past life galleries before. It oh. was great fun. You know, now I've done them for First Night Saratoga, where it's 150 people in an audience, 45 minutes each, three times during the night. No, I did not read everybody, but I'd read about 20 or 30 in 45 minutes. And, you know, by the end of the night, I was toast. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I, I can really relate to that because you know, after doing a whole bunch of readings in a row, I definitely get tired. So I understand. Mm -hmm. But that sounds so exciting and invigorating and inspiring. Just the idea of all those people coming to hear you and connecting with so many different spirits. That's, that's really amazing. I have really enjoyed our time together. Is there one last thing you want to say to the listeners about? Yes, you guys can do what I do. I'm not special. Don't fall for that. Everybody is wired like the same Sears track, you know, tract house. So you have the equipment to do what I do. All you have to do is decide that's what I love. That is a great message to leave people with. And I am a firm believer in that. I've taught a lot of intuition classes and it's great to see how fast people can pick this up. I remember I worked so hard for so many years to get that breakthrough. And then I watch people do it the first time they try it. And I'm like, woo, I love that. I love that. That is great. Corby, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a delight to be here. Thank you for asking. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to like this episode if you enjoyed it. Write a positive review if you feel inspired and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'll have more about love and magic next time. Until then, this is Oceana Fortuna reminding you to share your love and seek magic every day.